1: Welcome to Punching Out. I'm Noah, and this week I'm joined by Lou. Hey, guys. And Senior Legal Correspondent Greg. Hello, everybody. Now, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that every so often we like to look in and uh, give you an update on what's the latest from nine of the most powerful people in America. The Supreme Court of the United States have... I think the verb really has graced us with their uh, with their infinite mercy and wisdom in a number of different ways over the past couple months. And uh, Greg, our, our resident legal eagle here on Punching Out, is uh, going to help us kind of make sense of what's going on with these. The very first thing that we like to talk about is actually kind of an update. You will remember that a while back we had Greg on. I think that's actually the last episode Greg was on to discuss some decisions that were coming before the Supreme Court on the subject of employment discrimination against LGBT people. Now, the Supreme Court took those cases and, as John Roberts is wont to do, put three cases that had some similarity uh, between them and, and put them together into one big docket before the court and rendered a decision on that. And I think justifiably, That decision has gotten a lot of the media coverage that we've had in uh, this past Supreme Court term. Greg, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Okay, so Bostock is, as you said, an amalgamation of three
2: cases. Bostock, who was uh, a gay man, I believe, who worked in the adoption agency or something in uh, Clinton County, Georgia. A case from New York, Zard of the Altitude Express, um, who Mr... Zarda was uh, allegedly uh, fired for being gay. He has since passed away. And then, Equal Opportunity Employment Commission v. Harris Funeral Homes, where the funeral where uh, Amy Stevens was wrote to her funeral home employer saying that she was going to now be dressing as a woman. Uh, and undergoing gender reassignment surgery. She has since passed away also, unfortunately. but um, And they they fired her in retaliation for that. So two sexual identity cases and one uh, gender identity case. And it 6-3 ruling by uh, Justice Gorsuch, the more well-behaved of the Trump appointees. Friend um, of the
1: show, Neil Gorsuch.
2: Yes. Ruled in a kind of a textualist argument that... Um, when the Civil Rights Act says that you can't discriminate on the basis of sex, that uh, that includes uh, gender identity and sexual orientation in that a, you would not fire a man for dating a woman, so you can't fire a woman for dating a woman. Uh, and similarly, you would not fire a woman for dressing in women's clothes, and so you cannot fire someone who was born biologically male or for dressing in women's clothes. That's a clumsy way to express it, I'm sorry, but uh, that's more or less the uh, the reasoning.
1: I, I can tell you, having read some of the coverage of this decision from uh, people who consider themselves Neil Gorsuch's ideological allies, it, it hasn't won him a lot of friends, shall we say, on that political wing.
2: Well, he recently married an Episcopalian, so who knows what kind of treasons he might be getting up to. And I believe he also... can. Well, I'm not sure if he recently married, but he recently converted to his wife's faith of Episcopalianism.
1: I imagine that the Pope takes that as a personal betrayal. Uh, for for such a powerful judge to convert that way, uh, there, there are some finer points about Catholic Episcopalian relations in the United States that I could wax severely poetic on, but we're not going to go there. Yes, um, sir, okay. Right. So I think justly, this is you know it has been hailed as a. Landmark decision. Like you had the usual uh, spate of people who are uh, only left of center because we live in the United States, saying that oh my god, this is an amazing decision. I can't believe uh, you know Gorsuch and Roberts joined the liberal wing of the court on this, and and so on. And I mean, it's it's not to say that that's not an important thing to actually get handed down from the highest court in the land. There, there is, um, you know, whatever else we are about to say about the way in which the, the Supremes reach their decisions and, and what their uh, foibles as human beings might be, it is important, I think, to note up front that this is a case where the decision was pretty much entirely to the good. Is there any kind of classic kind of John Roberts poison pill or anything like that that we need worry about with this?
2: Well, I think the, the 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 question is what is what is deliberately unsaid is uh, which we're going to talk about in the other other opinions uh, cases I imagine is that you know whether this extends to you know religious employers and other um, people who claim to be religious and our employers and so on and so forth. So, I believe Gorsuch deliberately did not address the conscience objections quote unquote conscience objections that people might have to this. So. So far as it goes, the decision is entirely good, as far as I can see. But we may later regret the way in which it was narrower, narrower than it could have been.
3: True. Sure, yeah. the The reach of it is is in doubt, so to speak.
1: So why is the reach of it in doubt? In doubt, I guess is the question I'm asking.
3: Well, a lot of what the Supreme Court did this term was expand the religious freedom stuff for lack of a Good more save. appropriate word you can say on the radio, for institutions that are claiming a religious exemption for any kind of legislation providing access to health care or whatever. So what Greg is saying is is in particular with this case where yes, it is illegal to discriminate based on gender identity or sex. Um that very well could be still allowed if you say, well, God doesn't want me to do that.
2: There's also – there's there's this quote here uh, from Gorsuch. Uh, quote, they say sex-segregated bathrooms, locker rooms, and dress codes will prove unsustainable after our decision today, but none of those other laws are before us. We have not had the benefit of adversarial testing about the meaning of their terms, and we do not prejudge any such question today. So translated, there's going to be fights about that.
1: Yeah. Is he essentially just saying, like, hey, come bring those cases before us? If it were
2: Roberts, I would say yes, because it's Gorsuch and I'm not as, you know, I'm just not as familiar with him. I don't know. Maybe maybe he's being super exact. Maybe he is inviting those cases.
1: I can't say. Well, um, you've come to the right place, because unfortunately, we've had to read a lot of Neil Gorsuch on this show. And uh, one thing that we know that is a sh-
3: friend, Noah.
1: <laughs> He's a friend of the show because he provides material. <laughs> we wouldn't, <laughs> you know, we're not going to invite him over. He's not, he doesn't get to come to the punching out potluck. Okay. But no, uh, I I think that is a hallmark of Gorsuch's style, though, because I remember in the uh, Frozen Trucker case that we covered on this show, he very specifically said, you know, the the reason I'm deciding this way is because there is no law that gives this man the right to do what he did and not be fired for it and, and have that be a wrongful termination. Now, if Congress wants to, and I remember this distinctly, festoon us with such a law, then they can do that. And so I, I think he likes to include those little rhetorical flourishes in his opinions it's more often that
3: than not. It's not a complete jerk face. It's that Congress hasn't done anything about it.
1: And we will get into, into that part of it too, because I want to talk about Lou. You brought up, I, I think the decision that you're talking about this is uh, Little Sisters of the Poor uh, versus Pennsylvania, right? Which um, I'm I'm seeing here was actually a a seven two vote, so it wasn't as close as some of the other uh, decisions that they've reached this term. It wasn't even as close as the decision we've just covered. This is one of the two big expansions of religious freedom that you're talking about. So let's let's kind of bat it around. What happened in this case?
3: Basically, a group of nuns who hire people to work for them were suing to not provide birth control as part of their covered health care plan that they would provide to their employees.
2: This part of the case was about the Trump administration making rules, interpreting the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, granting religious organizations exemptions to the birth control mandate, and Pennsylvania, among other states, suing the Trump administration to stop them from issuing these exemptions.
3: So... The point is the exemption stands. So, re- the the court, Supreme Court, ruled that even if your state says no, you still have to provide it. You dum dums, you can still say no. I don't have to, because um, I don't want to. Which is, I mean, it's very within what the court was doing. This this, and they have been doing for years. Is for every pro uh, LGBT ruling, there is there's also a ruling that expands religious freedoms, so to speak, or how it's been framed as expanding religious freedoms. So if you can cl- claim that you have an exemption from any kind of policy to do whatever, because of your religion, you're basically just allowed to do that now slowly, but surely it's getting that way. Anyway,
2: it, it, it is that this, the, the way a lot of commentators have been looking at it is, is, so there, there's there's two parts of the First Amendment to deal with religion. There's the part that says Congress won't make a law burdening the exercise, uh, exercise of religion, and it won't make a law establishing, or you know, uh, any kind of formal religion. And uh, so the freedom of religion and the freedom for religion, if you will. And they have been leaning a lot more heavily on the uh, the first half. It is important to note that this was about. This was about these exemptions and not about the kind of core of the case itself because we uh, we don't – judges don't actually judge things in America any, anymore. They only judge if things were done correctly, no matter how horrible <laughs> things were. Um, okay. So a hypothetical Biden administration or other could reimpose the mandate – rule of the mandate. Uh, they are not exempt from it, and then the court still hasn't quite reached the merits uh, of whether they can be forced to provide the birth control under under uh, the ACA.
3: That's true. Yeah, I mean, ultimately the the goals of the conservative movement have been furthered um, based on technicalities in a lot of cases. You know, we can talk about the the DACA case or the any any of these religious freedom ones, um, and a lot of them the the Trump taxes. A lot of them have been ruled on technicalities. Like, yeah, we might agree with it in theory, but technically, you weren't quite right in how you did it. So, whatever. So it's it's very wishy washy. I mean, it has a pro and a con because on the one hand, you, liberals can say, "Well, we just have to do it better next time," um, or conservatives can say, "We just have to do it better next time." There's no like ideological um, precedent set.
2: It's okay. true there isn't, and but that means that a you know hypothetical twenty twenty four president Cotton or Holly administration, which is staffed with oh. more competent lawyers, can easily right. do the things that the Trump administration has so far been prevented from doing by these procedural rules.
1: Right. Yeah. There's. It's. It's important to note that in at least one of these rulings, which we're not going to get super into, but uh, in June Medical Services uh, versus Russo. Basically, Roberts actually joined in uh, saying that a state can't. this is a, a ruling about a state requiring that doctors who perform abortions have admitting privileges at nearby hospitals, which is pure BS. It's entirely created as as you know, a, a way to be uh, anti-abortion without officially saying those words. But all of the coverage on it of it, has centered on the fact that Roberts um, basically joined because he felt that since the court had struck down a similar law in Texas, they would have to strike down this one as well. And it's it's essentially one, and I know we'll get more into this later anyway, but it's one of those uh, classic moves that he's done since he became chief justice, where his role has really been to kind of Occasionally, hand a sop to his liberal colleagues, or join in a in a narrow uh, decision where he does agree with precedent, so that then when he does take a blowtorch to other pieces of it, um, he somehow doesn't seem as um, oh I don't know he he doesn't seem to be creating law. He still seems to be calling balls and strikes because I I do think Lou raises a point. You know, every time that there is a liberal decision, the standard thing to say is that this decision is policy making. It's it's legislating from the bench or some such. And I think if you look at the the spate of decisions that we've gotten this year, I would actually say, and and this decision is near and dear to my heart for a number of reasons. But that the the little sisters of the poor decision, and then this other one, the Our Lady of Guadalupe School versus Morrissey Baru, is. One about employment discrimination in the sense of can somebody say I don't have to obey federal anti discrimination laws because of my religion, and they certainly and seven justices upheld that one. Only Ginsburg and Sotomayor dissented, and that that's a hell of a disappointment because I can tell you right now that. If you have ever worked for a religious organization, they hold the fact, even when, even before this ruling, even when they were subject theoretically to federal anti discrimination laws, even if they have better lawyers than you ever will, they salivate to tell you that your employment is entirely dependent on their mercy and goodwill. And what the court did just then was basically let employees know that it's going to be open season on them if they don't tow every possible line.
3: So even with the pro worker sort of ruling, um, it is important to note that employers can't fire you specifically for being transgender or gay. They just, they can always just think of something else to fire you for. So if you, for example, want to want to, uh, have to miss work because you're having surgery or whatever and they don't want to cover you they could fire you for that because fundamentally we're still at will employers and and every single state in the country basically has at will employment they just can't say specifically because you're gay when they fire you but they'll still fire you
2: that's i mean you know that kind of pretextual thing you can litigate it um but it, it does make it harder you, know, you, you, need, you need to then go through discovery and show that other people haven't been fired for similar things, and, and it's, it's a much more complicated uh, issue. You're not completely helpless, but – But you're mostly helpless? Yeah, that, that would be mostly. my uh,
3: – Yeah, and that's – I think that would be the biggest landmark ruling ever. I don't think there's any case working through the system right now that is about right to work. Because who would dare take on that?
1: we yeah. already got the first part to that uh friend of the show Malcolm Janice uh True. was the standard bearer for that one, but that was that was just for the public sector we're We're still waiting to get the national right to work for private.
3: that was only like last year too, wasn't it
1: uh it was several decades ago in yes in oh. how we feel about things
3: a hundred million years,
1: yes um. during the Paleolithic. <laughs>
3: Yeah. It, like that would be, that would be a significant change in how we operate. And, and that would be fundamentally one of the most important cases.
2: Well, you would have to have both national for cause employment and also you'd have to make it illegal to put at will employment in contracts because right, at will is just, you know, it's a default rule. So if you change the default rule, people can still contract around it. But I don't, I don't know if there's any legal lever that could be employed to force, you know. Uh, force it into being that way. Congress would have to pass a statute, and uh, frankly, I don't know if that would pass muster either for federalism reasons.
3: Yeah, and then then it'd have to get across the courts, which... (laughs) Uh. Let's
1: be real clear, um, because this is something I should have brought up when I mentioned the Our Lady of Guadalupe school decision. Um, Neither of these cases is about somebody getting Fired for at least officially, uh, disagreeing with uh, you know Catholic uh, church positions, or uh, being the kind, being a kind of person that the church doesn't uh, like to admit, can work in a school or any of that. It was for age discrimination and for a leave of absence to obtain medical treatment. So th- there is an important point to make that. These decisions, which are often played off as if they are purely uh, kind of culture war stuff, and that seems to, as many people as that does fire up, it does seem to make some people say, well, you know, this is this is really just kind of social issues, whatever. It is very important, I think, to also mention that no agency, no, no employer, and let me put it that way, no institution is going to stop at treating it that way. They're going to expand their power over it. To any extent that they are allowed to and under people like Roberts and Kavanaugh and Gorsuch and Alito and Thomas and apparently, um, what is it, Breyer and Kagan, we're at a point where a lot of people are okay with letting religious institutions specifically do that out of what at best is an extreme form of naivete about how religious institutions behave uh with that that um that ability to make their their uh, presence known or to object on philosophical grounds
2: well I think to talk about Our Lady of Guadalupe we have to go back a few years and talk about uh, Hosanna Tabor, Tabor. Mm-hmm. which uh, was an earlier case which the court recognized uh, a doctrine that uh, that many of the circuit courts would be using for years uh, called the ministerial exception and Hosanna Tabor was, uh, the a Lutheran um, school, I believe. And the employee was fired for well, the employee left in disability uh, came back uh, her position had been filled and she threatened to sue and then was fired for uh, contradicting the deeply held and very famous Lutheran doctrine uh, that suing uh, uh that suing people is wrong and all this disagreements should be handled within the church community. Um uh, as we famous... all know Lutherans decline to use the United States courts uh at any cost.
1: Yes. Martin Luther is famously non-confrontational person. <laughs> yeah. Um he yes.
3: those things on the door not on a person.
1: Yes. There you Only
2: go. because he couldn't get uh Johann Tetzel to stand still long enough. <laughs> Um, but so, so they, they announced a doctrine called the ministerial exception, uh, to employment laws, which anytime you hear exception to employment laws, you should, uh, you should watch your pocket. Um, but which essentially is that the courts will not interfere in personnel decisions by anyone who can be classified as a quote unquote minister of religion at a religious organization. And that, you know. That's not just priests and pastors. That's also school teachers and anyone who has any affiliation with teaching religion, because it's very important for churches apparently to have to be completely free to have uh, their own people to whoever they want in in positions. As Noah said, none of these none of these people were fired for insufficient for doctrinal impurity or anything. They were all fired for secular reasons, but apparently you know that is
3: that's sufficient
2: yes because they taught religion or were involved in or had to sign a pledge that they were leading the religious life or whatever and oh, so that's sufficient for the court
1: i'll tell you right now that's in the contract it it they will make you as part of your employment agreement you are agreeing to to a certain degree whether you yourself practice the religion that that school uh, is affiliated with or not, uh, you are supposed to represent its values because religious freedom, and this is a theme that I want to get into because we're, we're running a little long and we'll have to break here, but uh, a theme that I think we need to talk about when we come back a little bit is basically who John Roberts, and especially John Roberts, thinks is actually allowed to exercise any form of philosophical freedom, Uh, We've been talking a lot about the different specificities of each case, but when we come back, we're going to talk about sort of the broader implications for workers, because this is punching out, and uh, maybe how eventually we might find ourselves a way out of having the same nine people decide on everything. We'll be right back.
3: You're listening to Punching Out on W-A-Y-O-L-P Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Lou, joined today still by Greg. Hi, everybody. And Noah. Hi, y'all. So in the last segment, we talked about the various cases that were decided by the Supreme Court in this past session, and specifically the ones that are related to work. I think, Noah, on this one, you wanted to talk more about the implications of those on work more generally, correct?
1: Yes. Uh, so we spent the last segment kind of talking about the specificities and technicalities of each case, but um, one theme that has come out of this SCOTUS term is that, well, basically the the day that Neil Gorsuch's name, friend of the show, Neil Gorsuch's name, sorry, forgot to go, append the correct title, uh, showed up on a decision that expanded the reach of anti-discrimination laws. You had the entire social conservative movement, the the Federalist Society types and all that, Uh, basically saying, well, that's it, we're all dead, we might as well jump off a cliff, and then because they're cowards, none of them actually did it. But then they started writing pieces to kind of explain how it's possible that they got outfoxed on any of this stuff. And I'd like to quote now, and I promise you, listeners, this hurts me as much as it hurts you. But I am quoting an article by David French uh, in Time magazine, Uh, that's two strikes already, It's uh, an article from July 14th, 2020, called The Supreme Court Tries to Settle the Religious Liberty Culture War. And uh, for those of you who don't know who David French is, uh, he's a lawyer who has, uh, Greg said this off air, basically spent his entire professional adult life, well, professional life, adult life might be reaching, um, trying to get the courts to let religious people do whatever the hell they want and religious institutions. And in this piece, he tries to cast what's going on here in a light that um well I'll I'll read you the quote and then you tell me what this sounds like. And he says, Justice Roberts Justices, pardon me, Roberts and Kagan have said the terms. It's not Gay rights or religious liberty, it's gay rights and religious liberty. Religious institutions have more autonomy. The secular workplace is now more open to LGBTQ Americans. And ordinary Americans are left to wonder why Supreme Court justices seem to be the last true negotiators left in America's constitutional republic. And I don't know about you, but I started feeling the bile going up my throat about halfway down that paragraph.
2: I like how LGBT Americans are not quote unquote ordinary Americans. They're they're different Americans that are over there. But but maybe we'll let them in if we're nice.
1: Yes. Uh ordinary Americans are on one side, LGBTQ Americans on the other. Yeah, that, that was that was a nice little bit of uh verbal leisure demand there. I think the thing that struck me is this attempt to cast what again, uh you know, the moment that Neil Gorsuch said we're going to uh, expand the reach of federal anti-discrimination law, but we're only going to do it if you can't say that my religion prevents me from doing it. If you can say that, then you're still fine. You can do whatever the hell you want.
2: Um, well, as we know in America, the um, it's very difficult to establish yourself as a, as a church. Uh, the IRS will look at you real sharply, and the courts are very willing to get into whether your beliefs are genuine or just a tax dodge. And if any of that were true, this this might be a tenable position, but it's not. It will be very easy for bad actors to set themselves up as uh, independent churches and claim immunity to these these suits. And even if the courts do eventually see through them, it will be, you know, it'll cost a lot in legislation and trouble for the various people involved. Not everyone can afford to do that.
3: Yeah, I mean, already, like, that's the case. There was that weird person in Florida who is selling bleach as a cure for autism is selling bleach as a cure for autism and COVID and everything else. And he's openly telling people it's okay because I have a church and the church says that this bleach here is our sacrament and that it makes it okay.
2: Magic minerals or miracle minerals, something like
3: that. Yeah. Like all, like all of this, this is already true. I've, you know, I'm, working now. My my organization is open and people are asking, so is there like a religious exemption for wearing masks? Uh, And it's, uh, yeah. So there is already a precedent in this country or it's understood that if you say I'm doing it because of religion, you can do basically whatever you want.
1: Which is very, which is very interesting to me as somebody who grew up in an era where, you know, not, I'm, Everything I'm about to say is a complete ginned up lie, but where the Bush administration kept telling us that that was the enemy that defined everything by their religious life. And I mean, this has been said by smarter and more articulate people than me, but basically what we found out ever since John Roberts uh, decided that or, or claimed that he was going to just be an umpire – and then he uh, you know, clearly forgot how much any right-thinking baseball fan hates umpires. Uh, it went on to be the Joe West of the Supreme Court. Ever since then, what we found out is that really the problem was that they were wearing the wrong, uh, the wrong badges, you know, and that it's perfectly okay for megachurch pastors or for some random uh, snake oil salesman to as long as they slap uh, Jesus on some portion of their wares, it'll be fine. Um, and I think what, what really struck me about that paragraph is that French is trying to cast uh, a movement that is ultimately absolutist. Um, the only reason people like French are willing to occasionally ever, ever lose any of these discrimination cases is if in exchange they can get something like Our Lady of Guadalupe or like Little Sisters of the Poor that hobbles – Uh, secular employers, but freeze religious ones, thereby just encouraging everybody to do exactly what Greg is talking about and just become a church. That's ultimately what they're looking for. And he's casting this as a negotiation process, which isn't what it is, and it has never been for people like him. This is not a diplomatic thing that he's doing. He is just trying to put, um, and because this is punching out, I got to relate it back to employment in some way, but you know, every boss just wants to control their employees, uh, every move, every second of their lives, and French has found a way to do that, and it's by making it a religious thing rather than a secular one.
2: I'm hoping this does not combine with the Hobby Lobby case to spawn horrifying progeny, but uh, you know, it, it certainly not would not be an unusual religious doctrine for someone to say that you know. Uh, our religion believes that believers are all priests and that every aspect of their lives, including their work lives, must uh, must serve God or or whoever insert deity here. Um, and so therefore I have to run my, uh, you know i I have to run my business like a church. I'm it's not definite that that will happen, but it's not outside the realm of possibility that it will happen.
3: There is one situation in which I think, the religious right and, and the people who are basically responsible for all of these cases would do that. And it's if your religious freedom or whatever started interfering with their ability to recruit for wars.
1: Interesting. I, I, uh, mean I, yeah. I think that would
3: be the only pot type or point at which they'd be like, no, you still have to do this. So
1: what you're saying is if you had, if you had people saying, well, if you're going to allow a religious exemption, uh, from federal anti-discrimination law or from having to follow government regulation, then I, as a person can claim a religious exemption from having a duty to serve in the armed services or from, you know, yeah, I, I, I get that for sure. My thought is this, this is where I think the, the forest is getting missed for the trees. I'm going to make a very, I'm, I'm going to make a statement that is superficially very controversial. The conservative wing of the Supreme Court doesn't give a damn about religious freedom for people. What they give a damn about religious freedom for is for institutions. They because they don't care if you personally believe. For example, again coming from the Catholic side of things, uh, you know if you personally believe that, uh, as Catholic social teaching preaches, that you know dignity of the worker means that you should be allowed to join a union but your Catholic organization that you work for disagrees, people like John Roberts and Neil, and friend of the show, Neil Gorsuch, and so on, are not going to side with you against your employer. I mean, we've already proven that they don't do that whenever possible. They will side with the boss. They will side with the side of power, even when there isn't actually a religious difference to adjudicate. It's going to be purely on the basis of of secular factors. And I think that's why you're seeing these decisions come out the way that they're coming out, because the idea here is not to protect your or my individual right to exercise our faith, but to allow people like Hobby Lobby and Chick-fil-A and whoever the hell else next wants to you know, pretend to be good Christian businessmen while funding ISIS, That the, those kinds of people, to essentially have a built-in get-out-of-lawsuit free card. That's what this is really about. The rest is just window dressing.
2: I will con- concur in part and dissent in part. Um,
1: <laughs> oh, damn. Now we're role-playing. <laughs>
2: um, I-, I think at least some of the justices do. For example, the um, the cases that schools have to allow Christian clubs in, for example, if they allow other clubs. Cases like that, which are not necessarily to the benefit of any institution, I think show that at least some uh, – some of them care at least about some religions. On the whole, I think a, a lot of the cases do do point to institutional control that way.
1: Which I don't think is especially surprising given we, – we know this, the end result of the last 40 years of – Conservative jurisprudence and conservative um, just control of the political process has been to create a situation in which the bench is dominated by quote unquote conservative judges. In many cases, they actually are, but in some cases, they kind of surprise you uh, when they realize that, you know, oh my God, what have I done? I think there used to be a case you can make that. Cases like the ones you've just described, Greg. uh, You know, the allowing the establishment of religious clubs and so on, where where that did show to some degree that there was an actual appreciation for the individual exercise of these things. But I think what you're seeing is now that, and and I think this is really where all of this is is at least to me going, is that the conservative bench in this country. Ultimately, what they want to side with is power, established power, not popular power, not power from the bottom up, not uh, the power of the working class or of the already disadvantaged, but the people who are already in charge of everything and pretend not to be. And that seems to be really where they're headed with these things. Because on the one hand, they'll say, yes, if you work for a secular, uh, if, if you work for a secular employer, rightly they can't discriminate but if you work for uh any kind of religious organization we're going to give them the broadest possible uh discretion in choosing whether you get to continue working from them for them pardon me and that's that i think is the thing that sticks in my crawl more than anything else and i realize that this is a very um to some people this might seem like a very narrow thing to be bothered about but i think it tells you what direction that wing of the court is going to want to head in any chance they get. And it's always going more than anything else. If you take away people's ability to defend themselves as people if, – if you're going to require people to work for a living in this country and then you are going to strip them of any available defenses against the people who have the power to hire the better employment lawyers, then it doesn't matter what, what concessions you make to anti-discrimination in the secular world. Um, you're still going to create little holes where the powerful who have the time and the money are going to be able to exploit them
2: I suppose I can't disagree with that I'm'm I'm, I'm, I, I wish I could um, but yes that's conservatism is inherently about hierarchy and power and people who own and run businesses are are more powerful than the rest of us. And I would say generally conservatives think they should say that way. Anybody anybody who takes power back from them, that's upsetting the natural order of things.
3: Yeah. Like every single institution in this country is either trying to actively roll back any progress that's been made in the past 50, 60, 70 years, or convinced that the way things are right now are fine. They're just okay um, we just don't want it to get any any worse and both are wrong. Um, the Supreme Court time and time again has shown and, and every time that liberals especially try to put faith in ironically uh, in the Supreme Court in in protecting individual freedoms like they might win some cases but they're gonna lose some and they need to remember and recognize that, this sort of legislating from the bench kind of thing isn't going to protect you all the time. And this is not an institution that is out to protect human rights in any way, shape, or form. It's just that occasionally human rights are the same thing as corporate rights or something that some people believe that some stupid dead old white men 200 years ago thought might be the case.
2: I guess the problem is, and, and French also alludes to this, is that there's nobody else who can do it, essentially. Um,
3: <laughs> well, we're screwed.
2: Well, because Congress has been massively dysfunctional for the past, well, for a long time, but um, in particular since 2006 or eight, and the... Executive branch uh, seems destined to spend every forty-eight years undoing what the previous administration did over forty-eight years. So I'm not sure where you know. I'm not sure where we would turn instead of the Supreme Court. I guess.
1: Yeah, that that's the real danger because then what you end up with is uh, again to to go back to this. It's not that it's not that the Bostock decision is bad but the cele- the impulse to celebrate Roberts and Gorsuch for joining with the liberal wing of the court obscures the fact that Roberts is not becoming any more liberal it's more that the cases that are coming before the court allow him to play the median position more than you know his the previous caseload would and uh Gorsuch is going to take all of that goodwill, and I think already has in fact uh pretty much um urinated all over it within the same term. but there is this desire to uphold the idea of an apolitical or or uh of a judicial branch that is somehow less concerned with the affairs of mortals, and you know we we have learned for sure. That the war in court was actually the aberration and not the zenith of the court uh that we it was typically held up as being when I was a kid and and they talked about you know the the decisions that were handed down there, but the thing is a lot of those justices understood that the decisions they were making affected the lives of actual human beings, and now what we seem to have, and I think this is somewhat ideologically independent, but i I do think. Most of the justices seem to regard their judicial decisions as somewhat separate from any real-world consequences; that they're all legal technicalities. And I think that's where you're getting Gorsuch's resentment of Congress for not legislating. I think that's where you're getting uh, Roberts often uh, mashing cases that are actually unrelated, so that he can make a pithy statement about how uh, about their interconnectedness or whatever. And it's just, um, I think. Greg, you, you make a very good point that it's when you've got an executive branch that is mostly uh, focused on looking backwards, even when they say they're not going to, and when you have a legislative branch that can't get anything done because no matter how many uh, legislators of your preferred political stripe uh, you elect, it only ever seems to lurch in one direction, um, and that direction is power, then the judicial branch does become the, the natural safety valve. And that seems to be a pretty dangerous one to have, um, given that it, given that it is political to the extent that we've seen over the the past few decades.
2: I think I, I think there's a lot of factors going into, into Roberts' um, quote unquote leftist term or centrist or whatever we want to call it. Um, I mean, I think conservatives are are um, you know bringing cases to the court now, thinking it's a friendly court, so more extreme cases are making it to the court than would otherwise than would without, with a moderate or liberal court. Um, and so some of those are too conservative even for Roberts, uh, liking. Um, there's the frankly amateurish way. A lot of these are, you know, done the, the you know, the Trump justice department. And, um, you, you talked about the, uh, the abortion case that was just in earlier law the Supreme court had, had struck down, but with Louisiana crossed out and, uh, Texas written on it or vice versa so and I think I think probably is you know sense of regularity is somewhat offended by that and frankly I do think that you know John Roberts does not want want Biden or or any Democratic Senate candidate campaigning on you know on packing the courts or expanding the courts or any of the things that uh people might do and I think there would have been a lot of outrage um you know, there there could have been a lot of outrage in this summer where there's already a lot of outrage if some of these cases had come out the other way. Um, it's possible that Roberts and a lot of the conservative establishment have kind of given up on the gay the gay marriage thing and a sort you know associated gay issues like uh, you know we'll, we'll 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 accept them as long as they do capitalism and you know kind of see it as a loser because frankly the majority of Americans think you shouldn't be able to be fired for being gay or trans. Um, so they're. Accept a defeat on that in order to concentrate on these other areas we've been talking about, which are probably more important to their big money donors anyway.
1: No, I think that's that's exactly dead on. So, as usual, ever since we pretty much ended up in in this whole mess of a pandemic, and and uh, I'm just going to gesture vaguely at the world around me, things have been pretty bleak over the past few segments. Um, let's take a break. And when we're back, we're going to see if we can, in fact, figure out a way, uh, to get out of this mess. See you then.
0: This is Punching Out, a project of the Punching Out Collective, and we want to hear about the struggles you face as a worker. You can tell us your stories by sending an email to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and we're on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are.
1: Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm here with Greg. Hi, everybody. And Lou. Hey, guys. And over the past two segments, we've basically painted a – we we started out by talking about the the one almost unquestionably good decision the Supreme Court made in this term. And then promptly uh, spent the next half hour telling you why you shouldn't be as happy as you thought you might want to be about it. but good news, it's the third segment, and we're going to try to be a little bit more positive. We've talked about on this show in previous episodes, we've talked about different solutions for what we see as the problems that the current and the past couple Supreme Courts have had, you know, packing the court or uh, changing how the nomination process works to return a little bit of uh, – a little bit uh, of of control over it and sanity. We've talked about how some of these debates should be happening in Congress and not at the court level. But I think one thing that we haven't addressed is the fundamental question of the Supreme Court is what it is. It is an institution in which nine people get to determine, essentially, um, is this a law that should be allowed or is this a regulation or what have you that should be allowed to continue existing? And I guess we have to at some point ask the question, if this is punching out, is this something – can we ever expect a Supreme Court that is, given its severe minoritarian impulse and and given the way that it seems to side with power uh, just a, a preponderance of the time, is there a way to get a Supreme Court that is not fundamentally antithetical to workers, to the working class? And I open up for the uh, for the table. Uh, I'm going to say yes, no and no. Um, so there's
2: you know, there's no pro- any hypothetical Democratic president could, you know, appoint people who have been union lawyers or, or employment lawyers, you know, anytime they wanted to. That's there's no obstacle to that. Um, the, the two problems are, first off, that, uh, you know, the Supreme Court justices all come from elite institutions. Which tends to mean that they, you know, are not rubbing elbows with the common workers and haven't done so in many years, if ever. Sotomayor is kind of the exception, um, or at least tr- holds herself out to be and tries to be, which is something. Um, but much like there aren't the any goat, criminal- by the way. I I do like Sotomayor. I feel like she is what people think Ruth Bader Ginsburg is, but the problem, I guess, in traditional anglo-american common law is that employment and and other contracts like um like for example uh rent contracts are seen as being negotiations between two parties that have equal power and that's just if it was ever the case which i don't know that it was it certainly isn't now the employee does not have you know free choice to negotiate uh, their contract they don't have most people don't have a large amount of offers to pick from you show up they hand you your shirt and your mop and they tell you what the terms are and you either take it or you continue to not have a job
1: again i can hear the uh, one libertarian who somehow made it through the past two segments seething <laughs> i mean that's
2: a, a lot of a lot of laws and a lot of court decisions just are are written that way you know it's if uh, if if they don't like it they can go work somewhere else and if there's no um you know and if there's nowhere that has that this is very big in the in the arbitration context for example you know they're like well if it's in the contract and they signed it so they're subject to arbitration if they don't right. like it they should go work somewhere that doesn't have that contract right. if they if there's nowhere that does that then they should just start their own business by
1: god
3: and there's just this this really bizarre like they I don't know what planet they're living on where they think that Like, if you try to disagree with the terms of agreement with Facebook or Twitter or whatever, like, you will have no choice but to agree to that if you want to use those services. But those services are also so dominant that there are no alternatives to it. Employment works exactly the same way in so many cases. You need a job in order to live, and there's like a handful of jobs that'll actually hire you because of X, Y, or Z. Um, those are the conditions that that exist for the everyday worker. And the idea that you have a choice in the matter is baloney.
2: Yeah, the analogy I would make is um, in the, the criminal law context, people say things like, oh, well, you agreed to the search. You would have right to tell the police officer that you didn't agree to the search. When, you know, if you are a person with a criminal history, possibly a minority, possibly poor, generally you know and there's a police officer with a gun standing there you maybe don't feel safe uh, you you're not a constitutional scholar in that moment you know right. you're pretty much just thinking how am i going to get out of this without some sort of violence occurring right.
3: to me and or they say or you say no and they say well you're resisting arrest even if arrest wasn't on the table and then at that point you have a criminal charge and they can search you anyway cuz they can like you can't win yeah, there's no important. winning
2: Right. Um, so, so yes, that's we could have a labor-friendly Supreme Court uh, or composed of labor-friendly justice. But I think it would be, it would require a, a a profound shift in how the law operates, and that's not impossible. You know, there are there are labor-friendly and Marxist, etc., legal tra- legal traditions, but that's not generally how law is done at high levels in America.
1: One wonders why. So it seems like uh, – to, to go back to the last time that we covered the the Supremes on this show, it seems like what we have to ultimately ask then is uh, we have to force the hand of the judicial branch by uh, – in, instead of fighting these things out or instead of fighting to get you know, the right justices appointed or packing the court or what have you m- – my thought would then be that you led, legislate certain affirmative rights into existence. And I know that, uh, you know, this is much, much easier said than done, but it seems like that would call for actually adopting a worker's bill of rights, an affirmative right to form a union, an affirmative right to organize, an affirmative right uh, to have that kind of, uh, you know, what, what, uh, the David French's of the world, sorry, the David's French of the world will never uh, admit is really individual freedom, which is the ability to to represent yourself as a fair uh, counterweight to the power of an employer or a boss or or a church, I guess, given the cases that we've been talking about. And that, I think, at least would give you the ability to point at, you know, the, the precedent that Guys like Roberts and Gorsuch say that they love to uphold and signal that it now includes those things, rather than hoping for a technicality. I guess
2: I I I agree. And uh, you know, the only two forces that can oppose the power of large corporations are unions and governments. So we need either either or preferably both of strong unions and a strong regulatory state. And we've seen that when, well, frankly, when conservatives are in power, that bec- that they let the regulatory state or the bits of it that they don't like uh, wither away. So there there was another decision that we didn't talk about, which um, the court ruled that uh, the structure of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is is unconstitutional because it has a single director who is insulated from removal by the president um, because political pressures might force a president to take um, pro-employer actions because they have a lot of money, much, you know, in a similar way that the Fed chairman can't be removed except for cause. But I think we need, like, agencies like that that are willing, you know, that are kind of willing to go off and do things and protect people regardless of who's in power. But I don't know how that can be done. The answer is just there have to be good people in power. But that's if we had that, then everything would be easy.
3: Right. Right. I I did like Noah's idea of a worker bill of rights. I think that would go a long way to not fixing all the problems that we have, but it'd be a start. Um, One of the fundamental problems with the constitution as it is written, it was written in a period before industrialization, before, you know, when the U S was primary, primarily agrarian, there's no protections for the average worker. Um, Because there were basically no workers. And they certainly weren't the, you know, landed farmer nobles that that wrote the Constitution. Um, I I think that would help.
2: I, I think also there's, I mean, you know, the reason that's not in the Constitution is that the Constitution only constrains government because that was the actor that was seen as the most tyrannical. But now, you know... Your, you know, a large corporation is just as capable of ruining, uh, running and ruining your life, and you have almost as little recourse as you would to the government.
1: Less, actually, because as you just pointed out, you signed the contract, or you agreed to the thing, or you have to bow down before the might of their lawyers, and. Uh,
2: well, you might be able to go to the one of the other two companies in the whatever sector it is and be oppressed in a slightly different way, if you like. So that's something,
1: but go. it's not much.
3: I yeah. love my different oppression. Well, <laughs>
1: love to be oppressed differently, not not better or worse, just different. Different. Well, before we uh, resist the temptation to uh, make things bleak again. I think what we'll do is we'll say you know that that's what we're looking at. We're looking at if you want a solution, if you want something that comes out of the Supreme Court, if you want a judicial branch that's actually responsive to the concerns of working people in this country, I mean yes, you are going to need um, labor friendly people in power, and you are going to need a, a change in how our regulatory, or legal state looks at the inherent power imbalance between those of us who have to sell our labor and those of us who have capital. And I think that's as far as we can get to in uh, the time that we've had. Because I'm sure we could keep going with this forever. But uh, for this week, I'm Noah. I'm Lou. And I'm Greg. And this was Punching Out.